seconds flat. Give me up. Look at Bill. Look at Bill. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hello again, friends, and welcome to mile 152 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Welcome. It is good to have you alongside my great friend, Phil. I'm going to ask you about training and racing, but first, how's life, my man? Oh, I am here in sunny and warm Greenville, South Carolina, waiting for the compressor of our air conditioner to come back in stock. Maybe too warm for you coming soon. I could go for a little AC right now. It's good to see you, though. How are things up in uh, Sunday, Ohio? It's it's great to see you. I like the potential like heat adaptations you could be working on in your training with this move. I don't know if you told your wife and child that you actually sabotaged the air conditioning. <laughs> I've it, always it, wanted to go to like Flagstaff or Boulder to do you know a six week stint for altitude training. You know, based on the research and based on what I'm being told the back order date for this part is, it's going to be about a six week stint of uh, heat adaptation training. So taking humidity and heat as the poor man's altitude to its extreme. And interesting, you raise that point about the research that the evidence is really firm on what heat adaptations can do for your training. And so there's an opportunity maybe to take advantage of that coming up for all of us this summer. Uh, Although I sure hope to race in some cooler weather, but it's not bad. It's that summer to fall when you train warm and then race Mm -hmm. a little cooler. It's kind of like coming down from altitude. We are excited to have a a boost of fitness there. That's right. We're excited to have everyone in for mile 152. We're brought to you as always by Columbus Running Company, columbusrunning.com. You can go to columbusrunning.com and get your new Columbus Running Company Elite Team jersey. They are in. Get the singlet from Backline. The artist was yours truly. I want to thank the, the wonderful Jacqueline at Backline because I had an idea, and rather than insult her artistic ability and actually send my concept, I just briefly described what we uh-huh. wanted. And they had the artists there come up with some great designs. So we came up with with a really cool uh, white singlet with some red and blue features to it. So those are available now. ColumbusRunning.com. Grab yours. Love to see people racing in those. I would also like to give a big thanks to everyone who has reached out about the first two episodes in our Road to LA 84 series. I have received a lot of great feedback Phil, one of our listeners wrote us and said, it felt like the first two chapters in a doctoral dissertation on 80s marathon (laughs) history. What do you think so far, man? Oh, I think they are on to something. I 100% agree. I have been enjoying listening. I've learned a few things myself and just what a cool project to go back into the history of running the the 84 LA marathon and the build up to it. No, I've been enjoying it, man. Good. I think with the time and research and love that I've put into this, I don't think that description of the doctoral dissertation is far off. 
So the first two episodes are out. That's Rotterdam 83 and Boston 83, which happened uh, almost exactly 40 years ago. Uh, check those out if you haven't already. The listening numbers have been high, so we appreciate that. There's a bunch we can learn in those episodes, and we'll apply some of that stuff and those principles in our training discussion this week. And next week, we will release an interlude episode, I'll call it, looking more broadly at American and Japanese marathoning at that time and now. If you're enjoying those episodes, please do us a solid and subscribe and rate on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcast provider of choice. Now, Phil, last time I visited you, I threw out a bunch of spontaneous questions. Like, for example, if you could have <laughs> any coach all time train you for the marathon, who would it be? And we had this nice conversation and you said we should have been recording. We know that everyone loves your lists, given the response to your Halloween and Easter candy well, preferences. Well, and let me just affirm that my lists are always correct, regardless of what the naysayers think about dots. Wow. But moving on. That is excessive confidence. Uh, so <laughs> let's be a bit more spontaneous here. It's We need to spice up our relationship a little bit, Phil. And <laughs> as we do all this 80s marathon training conversation, as I was going through that intro, I just had a, a thought come to mind. Okay. Let's do top three. Okay. And I'll go first if you need some time. Who okay. are who are your three favorite 80s music artists? Ooh. I'm going to give the uh, the mic to you for a second, since you're okay. a little bit older than I am. And this was <laughs> more of your decade. <laughs> yes, we are. Those months that we are apart, I, I was deeply immersed into pop culture in that period. Uh, so here's right. what I'll do, Phil. I'll even throw my favorite song from each artist in to buy you a little more time. Okay. The obvious choice you're expecting from me, Phil, and the audience should expect as well, given the history of this program, uh -huh. is, is Hall & Oates. Ooh, okay. How, however... A lot of their good stuff was late 70s. They were really strong late 70s into early 80s. So for that reason alone, I'm going to remove them from my list. So okay. Daryl Hall, John Oates, love you deeply, but I'm going to leave you out this week. That's an all -time, probably an all-time top three group for me, but I'm going to omit them here. So I would go John Mellencamp. Ooh. And I'm going to take, and it's not even close for me, for his top song for me, that's Small Town. Okay. Especially the acoustic version, if you can get a hold of that, what he mm -hmm. did on some later mm -hmm. albums, the acoustic version of Small Town. I know stuff like Jack and Diane, Cherry Bomb, it's, it's maybe a little more popular, but I'm going Small Town, Mellencamp. Uh, let's do Phil Collins. Not Phil Collins' Genesis. I'll just take Phil Collins, and I'll go with In the, okay. In the Air Tonight, followed by Easy Lover from my top Phil okay. Collins pick. And then I'm going to go off the board a little bit, number three here. How about Steve Winwood? And I'll have a, mm. a mild upset, and I will take back in the high life again as my top Steve Winwood song over his hit from, I think it was 85, Higher Love. I'll okay. go back in the high life again, Steve Winwood. And you know what? Uh, side note here. 
since we're already off the rails, Whitney Houston did a great Higher Love cover. Are you familiar? It's it. it they've done like a dance room not. of it. Oh, Phil, I tell okay. you. I need do, to get, do you have moves that go along with this that you can uh, show you, us as well? You'd love to see that. I need to get you <laughs> in your Subaru with your little lady, roll the windows down, the wind's blowing through your hair, or the wind's bro- blowing through your wife's hair, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Whitney Houston, higher loves playing. You two are driving through the mountains. My God, I mean, that'll, that'll rekindle some things. Oh. That's beautiful. Okay, I bought you some time. That sounds so romantic. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, what do you got? Who's okay. your top three, buddy? Man, no, <laughs> no wonder we're friends. So I'm going to go with, uh, let's go Prince, first of all. Oh, that's a um, good pick. I thought of him early, the too. the way he could play that guitar. Yeah. Okay, um, so let me pause you. A friend friend of the show, actually, my guy Justin, prepping for a 100-miler mm-hmm. in a couple weeks. He's in the 100-miler up at Mohegan. Ooh. I just had a conversation with him the other day about favorite Prince song. Are you willing to mm. put one track out there? No, because the obvious answer <laughs> would be Purple Rain. Yes, <laughs> you're right. I think that's like- but that's cri- too easy. That's the critically acc- acclaimed answer, right? Mm-hmm. But I would probably like just personal enjoyment. It's tough to get in a better mood than when Raspberry Beret comes on. Oh, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, but I won't um, make you, I won't make you pick one. So who's your who's your second artist? Okay, number two is going to be you had a decent pick, but I'm going to go with John Cougar. I think that's a much better option than a John <laughs> Mellencamp. Okay, so <laughs> he went by John Cougar through the '70s into the early '80s before he went back to his. Um, mm-hmm. and th- well, there was a time when it was John Cougar Mellencamp before he went back to his right. name of John Mellencamp and away from his stage name of Johnny Cougar. I'm glad to see we were on the same page there. And then what's number three, Phil? Number three is going to be Genesis. So we got your Phil Collins. Oh, there. yeah. But uh, the tapes I had of those guys playing in mom and dad's. Uh, the tapes. Know, Ford LTD. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Those were the days, man. Yes, they were. Hey, that's good. that was some good pop culture content right there, Phil. I'm surprised how much we agree. Oh, no kidding. Well, you have good taste, Travis. Oh, all right. Once again, I'm always right. Yeah, that's <laughs> the crowd loves about you. It's in a lot of our reviews. If you look on uh, Apple Podcasts, they they frequently reference Phil's uh, humility and modesty uh, as, <laughs> as a reason for a five-star rating. Okay, Phil, let's uh, look a bit at your recent training now and your uh, half marathon race experience that you had, because there's a lot to unpack as you start to prep for Chicago in, what do we got, like 20 weeks? Starting tomorrow, yes. Is it 20 weeks? Okay, I thought we were about 20 there. 20 weeks out, I guess, from today. So yeah, week 20 begins tomorrow. Cool. So in training, we really only have three variables to manipulate. And as I've looked at your past weeks, I, I see the training expressing these three, three variables in new and different ways that it hadn't since our marathon last fall in California. So this is a, a great gateway to look at these three variables of duration, frequency, and intensity, basically meaning how long you run, how often you run, and Mm -hmm. how, for lack of a better word, hard you run. 
Another variable we often reference, volume or mileage, is a product of duration and frequency. How long you run plus how often you run equals that total volume in miles or Ks or interestingly, Phil, have you noticed how like Aussies and Europeans who will measure many of their runs in Ks still refer to volume as mileage? I I have had the same thought. And, and, you know, as they talk about they did a 12K run or a 20K or 30K run, but then at the end of the week, they did 100 miles or whatever. Yeah, Uh, it it can be a bit confusing. Like you hear, let's take a famous runner like like an Ingebrigtsen. And you break mm -hmm. down his training and he's talking about all this stuff in Ks. And then you hear, well, I do X number of miles. And so the question is, when we hear numbers from these folks, are these their K totals or their mile totals? So important piece just to be aware of when you hear, say, 180 from Ingebrigtsen. That's a different 180 than what Bill Rogers did in the 70s. 180 for Bill Rogers was actually in miles. And even though (laughs) the Norwegians might even reference mileage, that 180 is actually more something like 110, 115 miles per week because they're counting it in Ks. But anyway, when I've analyzed your efforts over the past month, it appears to me the biggest change or improvement among those variables that you've made is increased frequency or fewer days off as a baseline do you agree with that premise and as i think of those three variables that to me that's kind of where it all begins in terms of having successful training both from a consistency and building fitness Mm -hmm. you know typically i'm somebody who when things are going well i'm running six generally seven days a week you know I, i don't do well on you know three, four, five day week cycles for a couple of reasons. One is just that consistency day to day makes the decision to get out the door so much easier mm-hmm. and that there's not a question of, you know, well, should I run today or is there something else going to be in the way? You know, I only need to run four days a week. So, you know, I can skip today and I can just get it tomorrow. It's not a decision. It's a habit. 100%. It's a, it's a way yep. of life. Yeah, that's, that's good. Go ahead. And sorry. The other end of that is from an injury perspective as well. And that, you know, even though I don't run the kind of mileage that you do, or that even I would really like to do having that spread over six or seven days to me is much more friendly than stacking mm. it all in four or five days, even though it's not much, but getting out the door for a 20 to 30 minute jog still adds up when you get a couple extra of those during the week. But as well, in terms of helping my durability and how just I feel, I think that makes a huge difference. So the frequency is the one that kind of first falls falls in line in terms of having my training go successfully. And do you then think if we were going to take these three variables and apply them to the masses or random runners X, Y, and Z, would you start with that variable also in your prescriptions in trying to increase the frequency? Would you say that's the biggest bang for your buck of the three? I don't know if that's 100% of the answer, but I do think that's a huge piece of the puzzle as folks look at their training. Number one, it it removes the decision of if I'm going to run today to Mm -hmm. more of a, this is a daily habit that I do. But then as well, when I think about, you know, as I work with runners in clinic that are coming back from injury, you know, whether that's 
dealing with coming back from a surgery or just an overuse issue, adding the frequency first before we look at building the, the duration or the intensity of their training really seems to, to work a little bit better than you know, having a, a big workout day and then a couple of days off and another big workout day and then a couple mm. of days off. I, to me, frequency comes first. Yeah, it seems like more often than not a good starting point, a good baseline. I, I mm-hmm. agree with you there. Okay, so let's build from that, unpack it a little more. If you increase all three of the variables and not simultaneously, mm-hmm. but over the course of your training block, because I think this is happening for you. This is the point where you are now, where you've started to sprinkle in a little bit more of each of them, not in a way that you're turning up the volume too much too soon or the intensity too much too soon. You're just more getting back to something that was good for you when you trained for previous races. Yep. So then what's next? Meaning, which one do I go back to to manipulate next once I've already dabbled in manipulating each of the three in different ways. For me, what seems to work, and I don't know if this is a physiological answer, but more of a confidence answer is the, is the duration next, Mm -hmm. particularly, you know, building that long run back partly again, from the habit perspective of every weekend, having something that's consistently 90 minutes to two hours Number one gives me a good launching point into a marathon training cycle. And I don't know if that kind of duration is necessary for somebody doing 5Ks or 10Ks, but you know, certainly for half marathons and marathons, getting to you know, where that regular 90 minutes to two hours is, is comfortable, I think is important. Um, it, it could be the 5K, 10K runner, depending on the type of runner, their strengths and oh, weaknesses, what they so. prefer, right? It might be all yeah. of the above. I'm with you, Phil, that we get to kind of a a nice homeostasis, let's say, of our week, and then maybe tacking another 15 to 30 minutes onto the long run is a good next Mm -hmm. move. And I would say, especially if you're training for 10K and up, then I'd next after that solidify the medium long run if you haven't already done so. That could be a a nice next move of medium long, whatever that means to you could go from... Mm -hmm. 60 to 75 minutes or 75 to 90 minutes or 90 to 100 minutes. But otherwise, if, if we've done that duration piece well, as we work back through these variables a second time, that's when I would probably go to the frequency and consider the doubles. If you mm, are, okay. if, you've, if you've optimized your number of days and your duration and you have some intensity sprinkled in, that seems like the moment when you consider the double. I say consider very delicately because it's not for everyone. Particularly, it's just a function of the amount of time you have in your schedule, whether this works or not. But if you have the time for it and you're optimizing the other variables, I think it fits well, especially when you get up beyond like could you just briefly fill your past, let's use these past three weeks. Could you give rough mileage totals for each of those three weeks? Yeah. So, well, we'll start into April. The week of the 24th through the 30th was 36 miles. Okay. Um, with a long run of about 14. The week of the 1st through the 7th was 47 miles. Again, with another 15 mile long run. Last, excuse me, the week of the 8th through the 14th was 33 miles. Um, that was the week leading into the New River Half. So the mm-hmm. 
the load was a little bit lighter and sure. I had a day off a couple of days before the race and the day after the race I took off as well. And this Makes past sense. week was 30, 35 miles with uh did 11 miles for the long run today, but also got in a two and a half hour bike ride yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, shifting the long work off of the legs or off the impact and, and got on the bike for an easy spin, still kind of recovering from the half, but still wanting to kind of maintain that consistency and rhythm of the week. So yeah. uh, essentially, you know, if I think overall and what is I've been successful with in the past that, and I'm, I'm curious in terms of your response with the doubles, but you know, I'm pretty comfortable sitting in that 40 to 45 mile a week range. But beyond that, especially as it relates to singles, you know, it, it's a struggle to, to get beyond that just in terms of the, the time that I have during the day to get things in. I've considered, you know, on a couple of those days, adding in an extra 30 minutes at lunch or in the evening, which would potentially add you know, an extra eight to 10 miles for the week. But is that the kind of thing where, you know, there's some extra aerobic benefit to it? Or am I just adding volume for the sake of volume in, in a yeah, case so like that? This is great. This is the segue I wanted to make. I think most people who are going in this 40 to 50 mile range should be able to comfortably do that, not running more than once per day. In your position, I suspect also, if you wanted to go up a little more in that volume, you'd probably get more bang for your buck in still doing it in one run per day mm -hmm. because the duration on some of those are 30 or 40 minute runs. When we look, we kind of jump forward here on optimizing your build towards Chicago. I would say extending the duration of at least one easy day and probably a couple would be really valuable. Let's see an hour in there more than we currently see 40 minutes. The value of the double, your point was like, am I just adding miles to add miles? At the amount that you're of work you're putting in, the value of the double might be more in just repeated bout effect and exposure yeah. to running. And in the hormonal responses that we have to the to that increased frequency than it is like the total volume you're putting in over the week. Yeah. I, I've been sitting at a hundred plus miles here in recent weeks. I would really struggle to get there on singles, but also my schedule allows for me to run twice much more often than it does for you because yeah. of the times at which you work versus the times at which I work or you having a kid at home that's got to take priority over another run. And those are important balances that we have to consider. But to step back from both of us and connect to what we've looked at the past couple of weeks and the training studies we've done so far, Deke, Salazar, Benoit, Meyer, Rogers, you see the common thread that they have optimized the frequency that they yeah. are, they are running twice a day, most days of the week. Virtually every day. Yeah. yeah it's, it's very typically six times. Overall, for those folks they're training, while they're doing different things, aren't they all great at getting to high levels of all these variables, duration, frequency, and intensity, but threading the needle with a balance and not going overboard? They are just right at that precipice, aren't they? Right on the edge. Yeah. 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 
I think these are the great examples. So I, I scanned back through each of them, knowing we were going to talk about your training. And, and I have a few examples I want to give. When Rogers did his 180 mile week pre-Boston 75, the intensity was relatively lower than during his normal training load, right? He didn't have a bunch of hard sessions when he did that much mileage, which was high even for him. Deke was doing multiple quality sessions every week to go to the other end of the spectrum, but his quarters and his hills weren't exceptionally long in their duration. So intensity has within it both how hard you're running and the duration of the intensity. That's what really defines the intensity, how long you do it for. Uh, and in his case, it, it wasn't particularly long. And his long run wasn't super hard given his ability. So he sprinkled in more intensity than Rogers, but the intensity wasn't 10 out of 10 on the chart. And when Meyer did uh, those hard fart like long run sessions and a lot of racing leading up to Boston 83, his most common workout session in between was just hill reps which mm -hmm. we know come with less impact force than hard track reps. And he certainly ran on the track as well. But the one thing you could count on seeing during that really strong six-week block he had was a hard hill session during the week. You can't maximize all three variables. It's too much to take them all to 10 out of 10, even for professionals who are outliers. But you can optimize the variables and you can get your own 10 out of 10 in that way. When we look at optimizing your build to Chicago, Phil, you know, I already mentioned extending the duration maybe of some of those days during the week. What else do you see? Because I, I, have, I have two other thoughts. Do you see anything right now that using these variables would be a good step forward? Yeah, I think the sprinkling in the intensity of, well, and really that's kind of my next step as I look at being 20 weeks out and not entering a training cycle yet, but what, what do I want to have in place as I enter that formal cycle mm -hmm. you know, two months from now, but sprinkling in the variety of intensity. So everything from strides to some shorter 30 second to one minute hill reps to a handful of 400 meter repeats to even a little bit of, of longer work around marathon pace you know that's the one probably is i've, I've thought about what i'm going to do next i'm not probably going to do a ton of that work of the longer you know marathon pace type work but getting in the drives the 5k pace worth the 10k pace work now to help with the efficiency to help with the form before i settle into the more specific stuff down the road what you could do right now because you're talking about raising your ceiling so that it mm -hmm. makes it more comfortable to do that marathon pace work when you get to that point so that it's not such a challenge, that it's manageable and you're not so close to maximum effort that you just can't hold it for 26 miles. Right. So, so we certainly want to do that stuff. But what you could do if we were to take like a, a deke type approach here, we'll use his example. And this goes to my intensity piece for you that I see from the outside. Before I give you my Deke-ish example, my general point would be at some point you have to make a decision on your run up Paris Mountain every Friday morning. And we, oh, here we go again. <laughs> I know we've, we've touched <laughs> on it before. Absolutely right. 
I, and yeah. this is one case in which I will say, I know I'm right. Most of the time I don't, <laughs> but, but on yeah. this one, I'm, I'm very confident because I'm, I'm again, I'm not telling you not to do it. In fact, I'm telling you, you probably should continue to do it because you enjoy it so much, mm-hmm. but it has to be balanced and it, you can't serve two masters. Yeah. I want to run up a mountain every weekend and watch the seasons change. And oh, that beautiful. Okay. But what's the goal for Chicago and how much does it mean to you? Right. And, and the balance that I think could come naturally to incorporate a Rob D. Costella style of week. You could remove that Paris mountain because to me, it's closer to a session than it is an easy run. You can tell me all you want that yeah. you're running easy up it, but it's, it's a significant amount of elevation. Yeah. It's pretty tough strength work, especially yeah. when you pick up the pace a little bit. In certain weeks, we eliminate that run. You keep your other midweek session that you have in, which you've done stuff like a Mona Fartlek and, and Deke's quarters, some bouts mm-hmm. at 10K mm-hmm. effort already in this foundational period, we'll call it. And in place of that run up the mountain, this is potentially a spot where you could already lay the groundwork for some work at goal marathon effort or pace in short bouts. Yeah. You know, 20 minutes or a few times a mile or a few times 2K or whatever it is. It wouldn't be a a super significant challenge for you even now. And it would start to get you comfortable with that rhythm and efficiency and economy at pace, because we know specific economy, regardless of the event you're preparing for, is incredibly valuable. And in this case, you're not just doing marathon pace stuff, which to me would not be a fruitful training plan because you still need to raise your ceiling, right? But you would be complementing that with other sessions. So that is how I see the intensity variable playing out that you could optimize this Chicago build I see another duration piece, though. My general thought is that I'm missing that midweek kind of medium long run. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rare that Monday through Friday I'm going over an hour where I'm sure I would benefit from extending one to an hour 15. You know, the second piece of that would probably be like the Monday easy run of you know extending that from the 30 minutes, four miles that I, I currently do to maybe up to 45 minutes or so. Those are good I'm curious what you're seeing. Yep, those are good examples, Phil. And it would be it would be making a choice and a trade-off if you choose to get more intensity. And as an aside, one thing we can do to add intensity is not just running harder. The example I'm giving you in this approach where we're maybe doing two sessions in a week, it's just more days of quality. And we yeah. can we can do that by tinkering with our microcycle rather than just jamming in another workout day. So if your job is flexible, maybe this is where you go to a nine day cycle over a seven and get two workouts in a long run rather than one and one. I know that doesn't work for you. If you need to stay on a seven, this is where maybe every other week you do two more moderate sessions, Mm, like something that's more aerobic and then something that's uh, shorter, faster, sharper. But that also comes with the trade-off of, does that allow you in your calendar to also fit in that medium long run? That might be challenging for you. So that's a decision to be made, but I do think you could pick one of the two and consistently commit to it. Well, let me ask you this. That brings up the question of instead of a, like a seven day cycle going to a like 14 day cycle, which to me would make sense. Yeah. The long run still is essentially the same. 
one week is a, a session of shorter, faster stuff, and then a second with some work around goal marathon pace, and then uh, the second week is maybe a little more of that goal marathon pace, and then some longer, maybe like K reps or repeat miles or something like that. Sure. Um, so that's a good example. I, I do think you're headed toward my answer. Not all weeks have to look the same just because you're on a seven day yeah. cycle. You could be on a seven day cycle, but really make it a 14 or a 21 or a 20, you know, multiply it out. You could make it any multiple of seven that you wanted it to be. I would go back into your answer though, and unpack that long run. You said being the same, because I don't think it actually would be the same. Mm, yeah. Uh, on a 14 day cycle. This is the place where I believe you can optimize your duration better. One is getting that consistent two hour range regularly so that you're more prepared to do longer than that later on. You're headed in that direction. I get the premise of getting that long bike this weekend and not running quite as long today. But I think you want to get yourself in a spot where something around two hours, knowing what that means for you, because two hours easy for you is 15 or 16 miles, right? Yeah. You want to get yourself to a space where that's consistently comfortable every weekend uh, yeah. to really be able to then build to maybe if you move to 14 days, one weekend's two hours. Again, this is if you're using time. So, you know, audience, just consider your circumstance. Maybe you use distance. One week's two hours and the next week's two and a half. And, and you could go back and forth. The two and a half could line up with a week that's maybe not quite as an in intense, not as many sessions of intensity during the week. Those are the next steps that you can potentially work in, Phil. And I like that we're somewhat on the same page and you're seeing these things. And these are just the questions we want the audience to be considering as well. And then answering them with someone else, like we're doing here, not just yeah. answering them yourself, because you're probably going to have a blind spot to what the real answer is. If you don't yeah. have the conversation with someone else. Let me point something out. And I, and I, I suspect this is intentional that you've done this, but you know, we haven't really talked about the specifics of what those sessions have been over the past couple of weeks. And from my thinking to a degree that doesn't really matter all that much. And that I'm doing some stuff around 5k pace. I'm doing some stuff around 10k pace. And, you know, as we're thinking about the overall structure, the workouts are there. We're touching those faster paces, but it's been less important in terms of what the specifics of that is versus how the overall structure of the week and how we're manipulating these frequency, duration, intensity, intensity variables, how we're looking at those. And am, am I correct? And that's somewhat intentional. Yeah, to a degree, because there's so many different ways to get to the goal. We, we've right. discussed the Michael Joyner, all roads lead to Tokyo 64 5k final because three guys trained in incredibly different ways and all were yep. very, very successful. That's not to say that the sessions don't matter. But the specifics of those sessions might not matter to a listener who has very different strengths and weaknesses than you do, Phil. Yep. You hit on an example of something that you maybe right now should be doing more of 30 or 60 second hills, mm -hmm. because I think that's a weakness for you. And so very much so. Yeah. Our tendency is to default to doing the things that we like to do, not the things that we dislike or challenge us. And those are often the weaknesses. We want to reinforce our strengths, 
but we need to also simultaneously work on our weaknesses. So that's where it just takes a real important piece of reflection uh, for, for everyone listening to be honest with and, and have that self-awareness to understand your weaknesses. My running growth over recent years has been a product of that more than anything else. Turning a weakness into a strength and into something I enjoy. Because mm-hmm. you know me well, workout that I, I don't like is the, the tempo run, just a, a yeah. continuous tempo run. Continuous, there, yeah. There's a time and a place for it. And moreover, there's been a way for me to incorporate it into making it even longer and breaking it a little bit has created some of the same stimulus, but I've just found it to be a little more mentally engaging for me. And so now I've turned it into a workout that I really enjoy. I don't do it a ton, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing to do it when that weakness needs to be addressed. And I do see its value. I am most certain that if I were to go into a 5k block, some of that stuff that's like 5k pace specific would be a weakness that I really need to work on because I just don't do it. Um, In your case, it works well now as a a base to again, raise the ceiling so that paces are comfortable in longer distances. But that's, that's why it's more about considering the variables in the context of the week or 10 days or whatever it is for your micro cycle rather than the specifics of the workouts. This is maybe a more philosophical discussion than one that's laden in going through day by day your training block. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. Let's move on to your race and the adversity you faced in your half marathon recently at New River. You returned to beautiful New River Marathon. Tell us about the experience. At the end of the day, it was still a wonderful weekend. We had a great time. That course and that region are absolutely beautiful. You know, I've done the the full marathon there the past two years. Uh, this is the New River Marathon just outside of Boone, North Carolina. This past year, I had originally signed up for the full again, but with training and life not allowing me to get in the work that I needed to to prepare for the marathon, I dropped down to the half. Again, just to have an excuse to go get a trip out of town and see a, a beautiful course. Unfortunately, I didn't exactly do the correct course, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's how it goes sometimes. So what happened? I guess, yep. So what I, what I went into, so the, the marathon goes off first, goes on uh, about seven 30, the half goes out at about eight o'clock and it's a, this is a pretty low key event. So the marathon goes, or the half marathon goes off 30 minutes later. Uh, the course map, you go out about two miles along a flat road. There's a U-turn on the road there. Come back about a half a mile and turn off on another road. And that road basically makes a big loop to come back to the start finish. And that's the official course that we <laughs> should have run. But due to a couple of errors, both on the race organization part and to a degree on a personal error, there were a handful of us that basically just ran a hard out and back with no turnaround until mile seven or so, oh. uh, turning it into about a 14.1 mile tempo run slash race. Okay. Uh, so two questions for you. Mm-hmm. One, when you finally turned around, was it because someone told you or did people realize and how many people were at this point together? Yeah. So, so we go out and 
I'm sitting maybe in fourth place around that mile mark or so. And this is kind of where, well, I take a lot of the responsibility because at the end of the day, I'm supposed to know the course regardless. Sure. But at the start line, I, I go to hit my watch and fumble it and didn't hit start correctly. Uh, about a minute or two later, I look down to check that I'm not overcooking things too early and realize that the clock's not even running yet. Uh, <laughs> so I hit start then. So I'm off on, on the the markers and where where things are supposed to be to start with. Yeah. So I'm sitting in fourth place. There's a police escort ahead of us. There's three guys in front of me. We go past the first mile. There's a mile marker there. We go a little bit further. The police escort pulls off just kind of on the side of the road, but more in a gesture of like, okay, I've taken you guys out to the start and off onto the race you go. Yeah. Uh, there had been, unfortunately, a miscommunication between the race director and some of the volunteers that there was nobody at that turnaround point, though. So no marking on the road, no cone. And I was, think was my this, understanding uh, was he there was just a miscommunication be- between him and the person who was supposed to be there. The spot where you were supposed to turn around, is that also on the marathon course or was that only on like, does the marathon go past that? Would it be natural for people to keep running? The so the marathon goes a slightly different road out from the start. Okay, so that's irrelevant then. Yeah, well, to a degree. So so the marathon does a ten mile loop, comes back to the start finish, and then goes out along the same course. So as we're going out, you know, my watch clicks two miles, and it's like I feel like we should be turning around soon, but I haven't seen anything that indicates we need to do so. And I'm seeing mile markers for mile 13 of the marathon, mile 14 of the marathon. Okay, yeah. But no markers for the half. And there's still three guys in front of me. There's a handful of guys behind me. Everybody's still racing hard. But we get to maybe six miles out. And at this point in my head, I'm second-guessing myself in that, you know, did I just not look at the miles marked out here? But I'm also, you know, I've done the marathon before and I had an idea of what the previous half course did. I'm like, this isn't what we really did. So we get six miles out and there's a turnoff for the marathon where it has gone in the past, but there's nobody there. There's no marker there. So we just keep going about another mile or so and hit a very busy highway. (laughs) And the three guys in front, the couple of guys behind me, we all kind of get together for a moment. It's like, well, we just totally blew the course. But as well, that group of, let's call it six, we all know that out of that group, this is the group that's really racing for podium spots and for, you know, placings and that kind of thing. So it's like, well, let's just keep racing each other. Okay. Um, So this is great because my first question turned into like five, but now you've led to my second question. What was (laughs) the reaction when you realized you were off course. So it became this lead group's going to keep racing. Did anyone turn around at the correct spot behind you or did everyone run this incorrect route? Not that I was aware of. Interesting. Um, okay. You know, I, I think probably halfway through the course or halfway through the field, people started getting sent the correct way. But at least that I was aware of and that I really could see, you know, there were a couple dozen that continued on kind of the same route that, that we did. I've had this happen to me as well, uh, Phil. Mm-hmm. I, I ran a 
14 point something mile half marathon one time. Oh gosh, a half dozen years ago, or actually probably more. It was in the fall and we had a uh, government shutdown, temporary government shutdown. And I was going to run a a half marathon that went into part of a national park. So it got canceled. And I, I found something else that was the following weekend up in Michigan it was in a very small town, a largely rural route. It was a night, it was a pretty course. I actually really enjoyed it. But there was a, a lot of turns once you got out a few miles into the course. So it had a long downhill on a bike path. And then you started making a lot of turns. So you're like three or four miles in. Uh, so by this point, I'm in second place. The leader it has a bike escort, but no one behind that does. And there was enough of a gap that as he made turns, I couldn't quite see him always because the the turn's like a hundred meters in front of me and then he's gone for a little while. And they had somebody at all these spots to to tell you where to turn, except for one of them. (laughs) And and so I went the wrong way and actually ended up, we got back to the bike path and I remember having to make like a long climb up the bike path that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And I had to go back down and make a turn and then come back to the bike path in a different spot. So I climbed it another time. Um, And the person behind me was far enough back that someone got to that intersection I missed and told them like, hey, there's a turn here. Uh That's why I asked your reaction of when you realized you were off course, because the two big things I want to address here are one, what are the techniques that we can use mid-race to handle adversity like this? And one of those is exactly what you did. Now, you did it in case of like a caucus with other runners. Uh, however, <laughs> this is something that you would want to do on your own as well. Mm-hmm. That is know that you're not the only one affected and that you have competitors still to race against. So yep. that, that gives the it creates a new value. So that leads to my second point, shift the goal away from time. That one actually worked out for you well also because you had messed up your watch inadvertently. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't exactly know the time anyway. Well, and really that ended up being kind of my goal for the last three quarters of the race. And that, you know, just from a fitness perspective and just the intention overall, I was not going up to this course to try to set a PR. I knew I wasn't in, in peak form. So I wanted to get a decent measure of where fitness was, but also just wanted to have a fun, fun experience. So especially as I got to mile four, where I'm kind of second guessing myself, which put a little bit of, go- of a governor in terms of how mm-hmm. fast I'm trying to go. At the same time, it's like, let's, like, let's just practice competing. Let's practice just working on the guy in front of me holding off the guy behind me and let's just stay in that mindset versus being worried about, am I on pace to run X time necessarily? Yeah. I think you did that really well, Phil, because when I look at your overall time and pace for that distance, it turned into a pretty good day for you and a a good workout. Mm -hmm. And again, for you, this is just like an early building block as you head towards Chicago, not the goal race. I understand this means something different for the person who this is their target a race. It it happens on those occasions too. And and a key piece when you're in that circumstance to remember, and we see this, like somebody gets tripped up and falls on the track. One of two things often happens. They shut it down and quit, which is not an option. We're going to avoid that one, but then they often will make another mistake. 
don't do this. Don't immediately try to hammer to make it back mm-hmm. to the pack or back to the pace that you were on. That short-term spike of adrenaline that you have when, when something like this happens and you realize could have negative long-term consequences for your racing. One well, of- I, I had something like that happen probably a, a dozen, 15 years ago at a marathon that around mile 14 or so, I was running with a, a really good group, running relaxed and rolling well together and I had to stop for a, a porta potty break for you know 30 seconds or so. But coming out of that, I was in a little bit of no man's land, but I made the wrong reaction of, well, let's just try to put in a surge and bridge the gap, which I ended up bridging the gap, but ended up blowing the race too, because at that point I burned so many matches trying to mm-hmm. catch up to that group that I wasn't able to hold on. One other technique we could use when this happens in a mid-race situation to respond to this adversity is to be grateful. There is an element Mm -hmm. of gratitude, I think, in that one at a simple level of, think about this in the context of what we're doing with our lives. (laughs) You know, the the fact that you're even out there in that beautiful space running that race is truly a gift. Moreover, in that kind of circumstance, like, this is free running. They're giving me a free mile on this course that yeah. I pay for. And then for the future to this, we can focus on the callousing effect that this has for the next time you run this distance. You can be almost certain that you won't encounter something this problematic. Mm-hmm. And you can be almost certain that you won't run as far <laughs> because next time <laughs> the race is going to be 13.1 miles that you've, right. you've taken the challenge of running 13.1 mile pace for 14 miles. I, uh-huh. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch, but you, you get the idea. You've raced a half marathon that was longer than a half marathon. And, th- and there's some gratitude for that, knowing that uh, wait till I get to one where things go smoothly. I've proven to myself if you handle this and continue to race, you prove to yourself that you can, and that only makes you better prepared for next time. The next piece, Phil, is how can we train for this adversity? What can we incorporate into our sessions, into our weekly schedule to better prepare us for these circumstances? We don't know when they're going to happen, so it's very hard to do, but I do have a few thoughts here. This will be the last piece that we'll leave it with. One, if you uh, train in a group or you coach and you have someone that you're there at the track or at a workout with, one thing I love to do with in-person training is adding an unscheduled rep at the end of a session, the adversity that's not expected. We do this when the session has been executed well. Don't do this when somebody is already frayed and at the edge and and on the precipice of burning out. The example here is like you've done a tempo run or some tempo intervals. It's very controlled. You look great. You feel great. And you say to your athlete or to the rest of the group that you train with, all right, here's what we're doing. We're going to finish this with a fast 300, something that's short. We're going to finish this with a fast 45 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever it is something that's long enough so that we're not like testing ourselves all out, but short enough where we're not going into some huge debt or flooding our system with negative byproducts. And we say, winner of this picks the venue for the next session, right? So the guy mm-hmm. who loves to I run like on the it. tracks, yeah. simply pick on the track, the guy who likes the trail, whatever it is. That to me is a great way to throw in some adversity because everybody thinks the workout's over. Yeah. And we're just adding a little something. 
not so much that it, it's going to crush anybody. I and mean, in fact, it probably elevates everybody with some excitement for it. That also is like a, a bit of a way of kind of hardening that finishing kick. You find something that maybe you didn't think you had. Well, and you also learn to compete at that. Yes. With that effort as well versus during the previous rest of the workout where you're trying to find that rhythm and settle into that pace. It's like, okay, this last little bit, we're just going to race. Absolutely. That was the last piece I was going to add to it. Great point, Phil. Another way you can train this is in the types of sessions you use. This is one of the many reasons that I really appreciate and enjoy fartlek running because it forces you to maintain the pace or effort you want for your repetition or for the entirety of your session over changing terrain. You will certainly face adversity if you work over changing terrain. So I will give an example here. We had a, a broken tempo that I did with another guy who's preparing for an upcoming marathon just this past week, four by two miles. At the end, I said to him, man, didn't it feel like that third set, that mile five and six were way harder than the others? And he totally agreed. And the reason was we were on a bike path that's very rolling and like short rollers. And the sixth mile, that last mile of, of rep three hit a lot of uphills that we got less downhill on the other side because the net mm -hmm. elevation was going up. Plus we had to go up a bridge that goes over a river and then it timed out where it ended before we got to come back downhill. And so that's creating some adversity within the context of a session that I wouldn't have if I just did that session on the track. Yeah. So, so training with fartlek's a, a great way. Uh, next thing is don't back down from bad conditions as long as it's safe as yeah. a caveat. It might be like that on race day. We need to be prepared. I particularly mean this in circumstances of rain or wind. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to do all your sessions in those conditions because it just beats you down and you have no confidence, but you can't avoid them all the time. I love to find, like, especially in the summer, I love to find the best day of the week for the temperature and do the session, quality session on that day because heat can be a, a punishing variable, but we can't just completely avoid it because it's very possibly going to show up on race day and we need to be prepared. No, and as I think about, you know, planning for Chicago, that's a you know, early October race and there's mm -hmm. a very, very good chance that there will be some nice cool weather, but there's also a very good chance that it's going to be hot. It's so, been warm there many times, hasn't it? And there's going to be plenty of opportunities to either try to avoid or skip workouts over the summer because it's too hot but at the same time and more importantly there's plenty of opportunities to practice staying engaged in conditions that are warmer than i really really want so like you said not necessarily beating yourself up with seeking out bad conditions but as well not shying away from learning what you can in those situations yeah don't always run to the treadmill but there is a time and place for it so that we can balance yeah. getting good work, good work in and, and challenging ourselves in certain potential race circumstances and conditions. You know, you mentioned Chicago. I listened to an interview with Benita Willis last week where she commented that she ran a PR at Chicago and then next year went back and ran something like 15 minutes slower, but thought the race was just as good based on where she finished because it had swung from a very like even atypically cool year. So cooler than the mm -hmm. best conditions that we see at Chicago to the next year, warmer than some of the worst conditions that we've seen there. And that's where 
she faced the adversity in the race and just changed the mindset, pivoted a little bit to I'm just racing now. Uh, and I'm sure over the course of her training, she faced some of those conditions as well. Last one here, Phil, is this could be a great use of the run without a watch. Mm-hmm. I think that's an opportunity to just allow yourself in whatever kind of session you have occasionally to encounter that run without a watch, not just because it can be freeing. You know, sometimes you just want to get away from those metrics and the the tech and just enjoy the run and remember why you love running, especially like this, like if I'm on trails. Yeah. But, But I also think this can be a good one where we have a course for a workout or a longer run that you know, like, ah, this tree or this creek or whatever is, it's about two miles. I'll just use it as my rep. And then I I don't think about what's happening in between. I don't get caught up in stuff that I can't control. I don't let outside forces dictate my pace and effort. And that's a good thing to, uh, to know and skill to have for race day. Yeah. Well, and the last point that I'll add is, and why I think I'm as responsible for the mistake as, as anybody is to know the course. Yeah, that's part and of the that, training. <laughs> you know, I, I was, I took a glance at it, you know, maybe the Wednesday before the race. And, you know, it's like, okay, I've run these roads before. Like, looks like it goes out here and then it comes back and does the loop. And, but I didn't really sit down and study it of, okay, at this point, you know, 1.8 miles is where the turn is. You know, as my watch is clicking over two miles, three miles, I'm halfway second guessing myself of, well, did I look at the course wrong or did I miss a turn versus if I had known that course better, it's like, okay, my watch clicks two miles. I've gone too far past the turn. I'm ignoring what those guys in front of me are doing and getting back on course the with where I know it goes. It's always your responsibility to know, even though we expect the course to be well administered it's your responsibility the one piece i'll add to that though is be cautious with understanding what the gps like is the gps is like where you're running in case your signal is not great you know you might click two miles and that might not be two miles at all so be aware of that too you're responsible for that as well okay phil good discussion everything from 80s music to you just running onto a highway somewhere in north carolina <laughs> uh, we will. But I appreciate the feedback uh, as I think about what my plan is for the next couple of weeks leading up to formally starting the Chicago build. So I thought that was a good discussion. Absolutely. Always my pleasure. Very excited with the work that you're starting to put in. I think you're headed in a good direction and look forward to that building consistently here over the coming months. We'll be back at you next week with Mile 153, the next part in our multi-episode retrospective on the road to Los Angeles 1984, where we'll hit more on the American and Japanese marathoning of the time. Look forward to that. Phil, look forward to catching up again soon. Secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com for comments or questions. Everybody have a great week. Train well. We'll see you soon.